I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Those are verses 16 and 17 of Psalm 59 which along with Psalm 60 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, October the 27th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus, which, again, is not actually in the Bible. It's in sort of an appendix, maybe is a better way to say it, um, called the Apocrypha, which is used in some denominations um, not as something on which you would establish doctrine, but um, that, that it's determined to be beneficial for reading. In other words, it's not harmful. (laughs) Um, We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 53, to uh, chapter 12, verse 12, and in uh, the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 to 17. So the Ecclesiasticus passage today, I'm going to tell you the truth. When I looked at this and started thinking about it, it's like, ugh. I mean, sometimes I'm just not at all inspired by some of this literature. And and it's, I, I wish that that it wasn't there, but it's what's there, so we're going to use it. So anyway, don't expect much out of the first part of this. Are you seated at the table of a great man? Do not be greedy at it, and do not say there's certainly much upon it. Remember that a greedy eye is a bad thing. What's been created more greedy than the eye? Therefore, it sheds tears from every face because it wants everything. You know what the experience is of going to a buffet and thinking, oh, I'll get this and this and this and this and this. We have a... Uh, Chinese buffet here in town that, uh, you know, I, I watch people go and just gorge themselves on this stuff. And, and there's it, a reason for that, because it looks good. And you think, ah, your eyes are bigger than your mouth. But we're going to talk about table manners and drinking wine today. So just be aware. <clears throat> Do not reach out your hand for everything you see and don't crowd your neighbor at the dish. Judge your neighbor's feelings by your own. And in every matter, be thoughtful. In other words, do to others as you would have them do unto you. Eat like a human being what's set before you, and don't chew greedily lest you be hated. I don't know that I've ever hated anybody for chewing greedily. But be the first to stop eating for the sake of good manners, and don't be insatiable lest you give offense. If you're seated among many persons, do not reach out your hand before they do. Do not aim to be valiant over wine, for wine has destroyed many. Fire and water prove the temper of steel, so wine tests hearts in the strife of the proud. Wine is like life to men if you drink it in moderation. What is life to a man without wine? It's been created to make men glad. Wine drunk in season and temperately is rejoicing of heart and gladness of soul. Wine drunk to excess is bitterness of soul with provocation and stumbling. Drunkenness increases the anger of a fool to his injury, reducing his strength and adding wounds. Do not reprove your neighbor at a banquet of wine, and do not despise him in his merrymaking. Speak no word of reproach to him, and do not afflict him by making demands of him. If they make you master of the feast, do not exalt yourself. Be among them as one of them. Take good care of them, and then be seated. When you have fulfilled your duties, take your place, that you may be merry on their account, and receive a wreath for your excellent leadership. Pretty much all I have to say is, well, there you go. Uh, honestly, I, it, it's clear, you know, don't drink too much, don't become a drunkard, and, and don't criticize people for drinking, and if you have a job to do, get your job done, don't make a big deal out of it, and then go sit down and enjoy the festivities with everybody else. Don't eat like a pig when you're invited to a banquet. There you go.
like I said, sometimes I look at these things and it's like I have no earthly idea what principles I'm supposed to take out of those things. Maybe you could. I can't. Not today. (laughs) In the gospel, Jesus is speaking. Remember yesterday he rebuked a Pharisee and a lawyer um, for tying up burdens on people. And, And basically what they're doing is setting the oral law above the written law. And the oral law is nothing more than rabbinic interpretation. Now, their argument about that would be, no, that's not the truth. Um, this was given at Mount Sinai. But if you read it, then then what you read is rabbinic arguments. You, you read a principle and then a rabbinic argument between more than one party concerning that particular principle. So Jesus criticized them for, for saying, here's the thing, you made everything too difficult. We've been set free from all that. We've been set free because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't have to go consult these books to determine what the rabbinic interpretations of these things are. So that's the, that's the distinction that's being drawn here. And, and so he goes away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to prov- provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. If you've been around very long, especially in the church world, you know that there are those people who are always determined to do this. They've got their pet questions, and they're going to throw 3,000 of them at you, and they're going to be special cases um, where it's it's like, okay, one size doesn't fit all. But but the reality is, is that it doesn't have to because the Holy Spirit guides and leads me if I depend on the Holy Spirit— then, then he will guide me and lead me into all truth in things and help me to navigate this life. But I have to have to be prayed up, and I have to say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. Please show me. And so the problem becomes that, that we don't do that. And so what, what they try to do, though, they'll throw a, a, all these things at you and hoping that they're going to trip you up somewhere along the way. Well, there's not a thing in the world wrong with looking at these people and saying, well, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. You've obviously spent a lot of time formulating that question a particular way, so let's let's talk about it. <clears throat> so that's what they're trying to do here, Jesus, to Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. Well, all that does is prove they don't believe he is who he says he is. If you think you can trip him up, well, good luck with that. <clears throat> In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, so you got this little band of scribes and Pharisees over there who don't believe, and and, and everybody knows it. I mean, you can see and imagine these people who do believe. These thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So they, they pretend to be something that they're not. That's what a hypocrite does. As I've mentioned this before, the initially a hypocrite was one who wore a mask on stage so that they would be someone else when they played the role. So that's what he's saying. They're hypocrites. They will say all these things, but they don't do those things. Nothing is covered up that won't be revealed or hidden that won't be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever is whispered in private rooms shall be <clears throat> proclaimed on the housetops. That was one of my, my mentor Chuck Murphy's favorite uh, things to quote, because he, he, was, he tried to be very careful about the things that he said, and, and he would say things like, every, ultimately, everybody gets your number. And that's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's, Jesus said it more eloquently. Chuck just boiled it down to his essentials. But that's the truth. And, and we can count on those things. And, and Chuck lived his life that way. 
when people attacked him, when they said all these things about him, he didn't defend himself because his, his belief was sooner or later, everything comes out into the open and things do. They do. That, that's the honest truth. And, and um, I, I can't live that way very well. Um, when people attack me, I feel the need to defend myself, which probably makes things worse because then they can say, well, he's being defensive. No, I'm not. I'm defending myself. Those are two different things. Um, but it, it, it doesn't happen anymore because I don't pastor a church. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it's just it is what it is, you know, that, and that's there's nothing you can do about it. But but Jesus is saying, hey, you know, all this stuff will ultimately be revealed. It's all going to come out in the wash. And so that's the what he's saying to the people, uh, his people around him. He's just be careful of these people. Be aware that their whole thing is that they're hypocrites. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I'll warn you who to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Again, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and, and that's the thing that these guys needed to hear this. They didn't know at the time that they needed to hear it. They had no earthly idea that there would be those who would be arrayed against them who would indeed want to kill them and, in some cases, actually carry it out. But he says, don't fear those people. You're fearing the wrong thing. Fear the one who is sovereign over all things. Don't be a man pleaser. No matter what it might cost you, don't do that. Remember, always be true and faithful. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. So God keeps track of everything. These sparrows that, that are cheap and meaningless in the world mean something to God because he created them. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I'm doing my best to make that easier for him. Fear not, you're of more value than the sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So when we attribute the work of uh, God, the work of the Holy Spirit, to Satan, which is what they did a couple of passages before this— when they said that, no, he does this by Beelzebub. That's the power that he's actually using. That's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's attributing the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, to a demon. And he says that can't be forgiven. There's no way that can be forgiven. You know, in in that passage, in that statement right there, I always see the deep, deep love of the Trinity because Jesus is there to defend himself. I mean, it's sort of like what I would say in the past is, is that you can say anything you want about me, I really don't care. It's, it's you know, whatever. And I, and I will not react for what you say against me. But if you say something against my wife or if you say something against somebody that I care about, woe be unto you because I will come at you hammer and tongs for that. That, no, I'm not going to allow somebody to speak evil of someone else. And that's exactly what I see Jesus doing here. He's not here to defend himself, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, no, I'm not going to put up with that. It won't be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you would defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And we see that principle played out in reality when Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, for instance, or when Paul is brought before um, various uh, mobs, when Stephen comes before the group that ends up stoning him, you know, he, he gives this eloquent sermon in there, and, and 
in all these cases, that's exactly what you see. You see the Holy Spirit inspiring these people to respond. And the problem is, is that we can play out these conversations in our heads, and we can play them out over and over and over again. If it does this, then this, then this, and this, and this, and we're not good at it, frankly, because other people don't play by the same rules we do. And so what we need is to just trust. We need to trust the Lord, and when the time comes for us to speak, then trust him that he'll give us the words to say. And he'll tell us what we should say, and we won't have to worry about those things. And that can be true in any instance, to be honest with you. And and so we just have to be prepared in season and out of season. We have to always be prepared to give an accounting of the hope that lives in us. And so our defense is always going to fall back to him. And it's always going to fall back to, you don't have as much power over me as you think you do. The ultimate power here is God's, because he's the one who has eternal power you may have earthly power, but, but the reality is I don't have to fear you because I know that my eternal future is secure if I persist. In the Revelation passage, remember yesterday, what we saw was this cosmic battle over Jesus, well, not cosmic battle, but the cosmic struggle over the birth of Jesus. Satan wanted to end this before it actually got started, and so we're told about that. And again, I'll point you to Michael Heiser, Revelation 12. H-E-I-S-E-R. So now a war rose in heaven, and Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. It's an interesting passage, right? So, so Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels. So these angelic beings are fallen for they're fighting against the will of God. They're fighting against God's win in sending his son into the earth so that all of the things would be taken care of and that he would rule on all the earth. Satan knows what, what's at stake here. If this child grows up, this is the Son of God. If he grows up and fulfills his mission, then my power has been circumscribed, and it's going to be shorter. It's not going to take longer. This is, in in some ways, the final battle, because all it does is set up the final battle that's going to be lost by him. So this is the battle that's really important, because if I can keep this from happening, then that other one won't happen. So, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And I've told you that that there's a distinction in the way that we in Christianity understand the role of the Satan and the way that Judaism understands it. They, They understand that he has a job to do, and that's to tempt humankind. We have a job to do, which is to resist that. Here, he, he is also then the accuser, because if, accu- if he tempts and we fall, <clears throat> then he can go and say, see, he's a failure. You see that in Zechariah, when you see the high priest Joshua come before uh, the throne, and, and Satan points at him and says, see, look at him, he's filthy, he's with filthy robes, and God says, I can fix that, get him a new robe. But he is the accuser of the brethren, that's his job, is to accuse them. And, and so is it his job, that's the way... Judaism sees it, or is that an enemy acting? And Christianity says that's an enemy. Why do we say that? Because Jesus said it. (laughs) Jesus said he was our enemy. And they have conquered him, the dragon, the Satan, the the, uh, devil, by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, for they have loved not their lives even unto death, which is exactly what Jesus said, is don't fear the one who can kill you. Fear the one who has eternal control over your eternal destiny. And that's what these have done. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So they're standing positionally, sanctified or justified in Christ Jesus, covered in his blood, and then their testimony is they love not their lives even unto death. They were willing to lay down their lives for the truth. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and the sea, for the devils come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So the heavens and those who dwell there can be thrilled to death because they're all thrown out, all these rebellious angels. But woe to you, earth, because he's down there, he's furious, and he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth, who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she's to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's the three and a half years from the previous uh, part of the chapter that we read yesterday, three and a half years. So it's a time, times, that's more than one, so that's two, and then a half time, that's three and a half. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So we do have an enemy, but, but we aren't to fear that enemy. We're to understand the enemy, we're to f- fight against him, but we're not fighting in fear, we're fighting in strength and power, because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So we have the power to stand and to fight against this enemy of our souls. Do we use that? We should have no fear of him, none, none at all. His power is, is, is only on this earth, that's all he can do. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony. And that testimony is that, that I so believe in the resurrection of the dead that I have no fear of death. I have no fear of anything. So I'm willing to put my life on the line for what I believe. I'm willing to stand in the assembly and declare what I believe to be the truth, no matter what the situation in my life might be. I'm willing to stand there and declare that hope because I do have a living hope, because I'm certain that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's the end of that story. I don't have to worry about anything else. And Satan, once once my life here is over, he's done with me. He has no power over me at all. God the Father does, and he determines my eternal destiny, and that's all that matters.